From the headquarters of the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies in Indianapolis, this is Namix Insurance Uncovered, the first property casualty insurance podcast offering perspective and insight on the top issues facing industry professionals. I'm your host, Kathy Inus, Vice President of Public Affairs here at NAMIC. Today we're uncovering marijuana. We clear the air on the current status of legalization, the conflict between federal and state laws, and the resulting conundrum that insurers face in terms of legality. Plus, insurers combating opioids, how NCOIL plans to update its repackaging model to address price gouging among bad actors, and closing the insurance talent gap. NAMIC President and CEO Chuck Chamnis talks with a Butler University risk management professor about ways to attract young talent to the industry. Here's a hint, it doesn't involve gimmicks. The National Council of Insurance Legislators introduced the pharmaceutical dispensing model aimed at curbing the opioid epidemic in the workers' compensation realm. NAMIC's Assistant Vice President of State Affairs, Aaron Collins, was a critical contributor to this new model, aligning member and industry feedback over many months. She says the new model organically directs business to the legitimate pharmaceutical industry instead of bad actors who have been known to price gouge. Compounded drugs or when you take two existing medications and mix them or a, a pharmacist mix them, mixes them to make something new. Uh, so the idea is that it has to be something that is, is not readily available already. Uh, now, there's some legitimate reasons for compounded drugs. You know, I'm a, I'm a parent. You know, there, there are uh, medications that kids get that, you know, they, they mix for one reason or another. Uh, or with, um, you know, flavorings and things like, you know, things like that. Um, but it's usually in instances where maybe somebody is allergic to a component of one medication, and so they take the drug from one medication and mix it with something else instead of that filler, right? So there are some legitimate uh, reasons for that, but um, what we are seeing in the workers' compensation uh, sector is an increasing number of compounded drugs that are... Um, not proven to have any uh, therapeutical uh, therapeutic benefit beyond what the original medication has, and just being charged astronomical rates. Uh, so at the last Inquil meeting, one of the stories we heard uh, from someone testifying uh, was that there was a, a horror story or horror stories uh, about the development of essentially uh, icy hot. Um, in the workers' compensation uh, realm, and that they were charged um, $10,000 for the tube. Uh, and because the way of the way workers' compensation law works uh, in many states, it, they had to pay. Again, that was NAMIC's Erin Collins. She expects a vote on the new NCOIL model to take place during this coming summer meeting. As of today, 29 states plus the District of Columbia have legalized marijuana. Seven states have legalized adult use of recreational marijuana. With more states expected to follow, the burning question for insurers is what to do. Brenda Wells, Distinguished Professor of Risk and Insurance at East Carolina University, discusses some of the biggest risks that come along with legal pot. The typical, and in, the, in this industry, it's called a grow, where you have a growing operation, a typical indoor grow requires very hot, powerful lamps 
to stimulate sunlight. Those lamps are not compatible with household or ordinary commercial electrical systems. They are not built to handle that load. So as a lawyer once explained it to me in a panel discussion we were in, and I thought it was kind of funny, he said, the guy that threw pot in college in his dorm room is now sitting here going, hey, it's legal for me to have these plants in California or wherever he is. I can grow it in my attic. I can grow it in my basement. And there come the grow lamps, which are too powerful for the home electrical system. And this person is not going to pick up the phone and call the electrician and go, hey, buddy, I want to grow pot in my basement. Would you please come over and fix my electrical system? That's just not going to happen. Also, those lamps burn very hot, and they can get turned over by a pet. They can burn a child. I mean, there's just a host of things that can go wrong with these. Clearing the Air on Marijuana is a new webinar available to NAMIC members. To hear more about the risks involved with insuring marijuana and the conflict between state and federal law, head to our website and click the On Demand tab under the event calendar. Each episode of Insurance Uncovered will feature NAMIC President and CEO Chuck Chamness talking with insurance experts about issues affecting the industry. These candid conversations are part of a segment called Unscripted. And on today's Unscripted, Chuck sits down with Butler University Risk Management Professor Zach Finn to learn about the only student-run insurance company in the nation and also to find out what companies can do to address the insurance talent gap. And, you know, I, when we met a couple of years ago, I remember hearing about the uh, your background, not with an insurance company, not with an agency or broker, but with a Fortune 500 company as a risk manager. Does that bring a different perspective for you then than others that might have different types of uh, insurance experience? Actually, it does. You know, when you when you graduate from an insurance program as an undergraduate student, you get you get the, the question, as I call it, do you want to be a claims adjuster, an underwriter, or a broker? And obviously, there's a lot of jobs and disciplines within our industry, but those are the big three for the most part. And my answer was, no, I actually want to be a risk manager and all those people work for me. I mean, kind of tongue in cheek, but in a risk management department, I mean, I was working on claims as an intern in my first internship that an insurance company wouldn't let me breathe on for 15 years. And, and it's a function of the fact that there's three or four people in the department handling all manners of risks. Um, for a large Fortune 500 corporation, you've got the normal renewal activities and, and interfacing with brokers for the, the placement of an insurance program. But then you also have the kind of things that happen ad hoc in a department, mergers or acquisitions or divestitures or large claims. So you may find a director of risk management who would normally be handling a particular claim file or a renewal who, who's in Japan handling an earthquake loss. And you're left as the number two or even the third string getting called into the game. And so it gives you an opportunity to see the industry um, you know, having been a risk manager and a benefits manager, I joke around that from policy archaeologist to forensic accountant, there's not a job I haven't seen somebody do uh, in the industry. Yeah. Well, let's start with your thoughts on, uh, you know, the overall situation the industry finds itself in. We've got some 400,000 jobs that need to be filled in the next few years and, um, you know, relatively few college graduates looking to uh, fill that insurance talent gap. Uh, what are your thoughts on how we got here and, and what we can do to address it? Yeah, you know, I think we got here because, you know, we don't we don't tell our story. I think insurance has actually created a morale hazard in society where society 
because of insurance, doesn't have to think about these types of things. I mean, think about it. Insurance is the only product you could buy your whole life and, and be lying on your deathbed going, man, I bought, I bought me some great insurance. And turns out you have the world's worst policy. You didn't have a claim, so you never knew. And so, and so that's one of the things with insurance is if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not one of the unlucky souls who's had a large claim or a large loss, your only interactions with insurance are really as a consumer, as an individual. It's a product that you're mandated to buy by your bank, by your state. Um, it's a product where you pay money, and the only way you derive any value is something terrible happens to you. So you can imagine why millennials aren't like, wow, that's, that's certainly a transaction I want to be involved in. And, and I think the personal lines industry has not done us any favors. I, you know, I'm sure Flo, the individual actress who plays her, is fine, but Flo, the character, drives me nuts. And I think that um, those folks are commoditizing our product and, and taking away how specialized it is. I mean, you know, when I, was a, when I turned 16, I sat down with a state farm agent. And got an auto policy, and we had a conversation about risk and insurance, and I got some information. I mean, now you see a commercial, and, you know, however many minutes, you save 25% or less, and you're on your way. I think most students and millennials, uh, and even most of society, is unaware that the commercial insurance market even exists. I don't think they're even aware of it. I think they assume, like, if you're, you know, IBM, Apple, whoever you are, you just pay for losses out of pocket. And that may be the case for some large corporations, but I don't think most folks generally respect or understand that there is a commercial insurance market, even to begin to peel the onion back and see what all the different jobs in that industry are. Well, well of course, we represent, uh, in our view, the very best of the uh, property casualty insurance market, the mutual space, about 40% of the total premium. And you know, we think that the uh, mutuals in particular have a great value proposition for millennials. I mean, they like to form communities generally. You know, we're all about communities. Our companies are formed sometimes around small geographic areas, sometimes around specific industries. Um, you know, mutual is by its uh, definition, you know, a, a gathering of like people um, to serve a common purpose. Um, we also think there's a kind of post-financial crisis, anti-big corporate America um, environment out there, and that's what our companies are, you know, Main Street. And uh, so... So I think that, that our members have a little different story to tell, but it's all within this industry. And as we said, this industry faces a great uh, challenge with attracting, uh, you know, tomorrow's workforce uh, to the industry. I had the good fortune a couple of years ago, I brought a, a member company CEO and his son in. His son was considering Butler. And you just did an incredible job of kind of painting the picture for this young man of what, you know, not only the Butler program could provide, but what the industry would provide as a career. Can you tell us a little bit about the Butler program and, um, you know, how it's evolved in the last few years? Yeah, I think, you know, I think for any insurance or risk management program to be successful, you have to design it in order to help students answer what I call the fundamental questions about working in our industry. And if you're able to answer these questions, then you'll know exactly where you belong. And so th those are, do I want to work in personal lines or commercial lines or both? Do I want to work in property and casualty or life and health? Do I want to be a subject matter, uh, industry, or product expert, or do I want to be a generalist? And based on the answers to those questions, do I want to be a risk practitioner, like a risk manager or an employee benefits uh, person? Do I want to be in the distribution system for products at, at a broker, uh, either as an account manager, producer, or any number of technical roles that exist within the broker space? Or do I want to be in an insurance company and all the different roles that, that, that are, apply there? Even students that are 
double majors in, in, in accounting and risk management or marketing and risk management, I tell them, you know, the, the, the insurance companies hire accountants and marketing folks as well. Imagine having a degree in the industry in which you operate or the products in which you sell. And so I think, you know, one of the benefits of an insurance or risk management degree is, is training students for these jobs, but also getting students acquainted with these jobs. You know, by the time they leave our program, they've answered those questions. They know where they belong. And, and as you were alluding to with, with mutuals, there's a lot of flavors in the insurance industry. It's one of the few industries where, you know, if you're a pilot, you can work in aviation insurance. If you love food like I do, you can be in a, a food risk manager. Um, if you want to live in a small town or work with a particular type of risk, um, um, certainly uh, mutual insurance companies have those opportunities. And, and, and you're right, you know, there's a lot of great mutuals that are in really wonderful communities. Um, you know, what I learned living in California and some of these quote-unquote sexy places is that's why God invented vacation so you can visit there and live someplace nice yeah um, but I think students appreciate um, the, the mission of mutual similar to a credit union where it's really about you know, the members and it's not the profit motive isn't there and I think you have a generation that's more socially conscious about those things mm-hmm. and so I think that that certainly that value proposition in particular would appeal appeals to students we agree so you know the industry you worked in the industry um, but Butler has a unique uh, trait in that it has this uh, student-run company, a captive. Uh, that's what I think caught the New York Times uh, attention. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I think I think the secret sauce to what we've done at Butler is uh, is the experiential nature of the university itself and the school business. So, for example, all of our business students do do two internships for academic credit, or they don't graduate. Um, they all run and operate a business their sophomore year. And, and now we run and operate our own student-run insurance company. And, and this goes back to an experience I had where I was working with a captive at one of the firms I was uh, in the risk management department for. Uh, at the same time, I was getting my master's degree from Florida State in risk management. And what I found is, is I was learning about what I was doing, and I was doing what I, about what I was doing things that I was learning, and it just made me a much better risk manager. And so when I came to Butler, first of all, two internships, that, that's really how you acquaint students to all these different jobs in the industry. But imagine you run a business your sophomore year, which is now insured by our student-run insurance company, by the way. So as a sophomore, you're already getting acquainted to commercial general liability risk and why joint several liability matters when you buy products from, say, China and Alibaba. And, and what you know, Butler's a magical place. It's the only place I'll stake a, my reputation on this. It's the only business school in America where every sophomore in the building knows what a certificate of insurance is which is pretty cool. So you're, you're running a business, you're insured by our captive, you've already been acquainted with certificates of insurance and how important this is. Then you're an insurance major, you do two internships for credit, maybe you're at a broker, carrier, wherever, and then you come in and we run a student-run insurance company. And so what we did with students is over the course of two years, um, in the fall 16, we did a full-blown feasibility study uh, where normally you would pay industry, uh, say, 30 or 50 grand to accomplish that. And, and with our students, we like to say we didn't spend a thin dime. Uh, we then moved on to implementation in the uh, spring of 17, where from January to April, we were able to put together the business plan and the licensure application to get approved and licensed by the Bermuda Monetary Authority on April 7th. And, and it was great. They, they complimented us that our application was approved on the first go, and they had five or six, or they had several Fortune 500 companies that had kicked back five or six times. 
And so we've now, uh, as of this semester, have our fully operational captive insurance company. We took the summer and the fall of, of uh, 17 to kind of figure out what we did. You know, Frankenstein's monster. It's alive now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we going to do with this thing? And we've been running and operating it this semester. So students are underwriting the fine art that we insure on campus, and I can get into more details on that. Uh, we're insuring our live mascot trip and our bomb-sniffing dog. Uh, we're ensuring the CGL exposure for our student-run businesses, so they're doing a lot of the underwriting activities for that. Uh, we're examining reinsurance for the risks that we're insuring and also for other risks that the university has. And so we're doing an RFP for reinsurance brokers. Uh, we had Aon come in and see us before spring break. Uh, our friends at JLT are coming in tomorrow, and then we've got Arthur J. Gallagher that will be in to visit us yet still. Um, so we'll be looking at reinsurance, and then we'll be out in Bermuda the first week of April to actually meet with all of our service providers, meet with Aon, uh, conduct our board meeting for the captive, and give students the experience of, of what an international insurance market looks like. Well, um, congratulations on getting it set up and uh, underway. And all the business that you're doing now, and, and by the way, about Trip, the Butler Bulldog, the <laughs> mascot, uh, we're here the week after the NCAA uh, game where, unfortunately, Butler went down to Purdue. And I happen to think it's because I understand they did not allow uh, Trip into the building. Uh, they uh, basically shut him out in the parking lot, and so... You know, they didn't let him in. Didn't let him in. So well, we got one over on Purdue actually, and this is in in, in the spirit of friendship. But um, Purdue has a great risk manager, uh, uh, Mark, and and um, one of our students worked in their risk management. One of our alums was in their risk management department for several years as a risk analyst. We stole him away to be the risk manager at Butler University. Oh, very so, good. So they didn't let but they didn't let Trump in the building, but we stole their risk man, their risk analyst. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it might have been uh, NCAA risk management that kept him out of the building when they. Uh, Usually he's at the games, but uh, perhaps it could be. We'll have to look into that. We will. Um, so any claims that the company, not, the student, not, have dealt with yet? Knock on wood, thankfully no claims. Excellent. Excellent. Um, the dogs, you know, we insure them for their working lives, not for their natural lives. And so, we, you know, we don't want to have any claims. Obviously, we're there in case we do. Um, um, I think the thing that we're probably most concerned about is we're actually insuring some mobile equipment, some gators, some Polaris vehicles, the little segways the police officers ride around mm-hmm. on. Again, not for liability, but uh, you know, every once in a while, one of those things will get pinched around campus. Mm-hmm. So that's probably our biggest concern is making sure the gators are locked down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, it's about the insurance company and the experience, but you know, what are the the students learning that uh, really applies in the job search and in the professional careers that they they expect to have? I mean. Well, there's a there's a real life experience to all this. So, for example, we were picking which domicile we're going to be regulated in. You know, on paper, would look like, for example, we might go to Oklahoma, Um, and and with due respect to Oklahoma Insurance Department and some of the others, you know, I had students, you know, give them a call, email them, see who gets back to you. We heard back from Vermont and Bermuda within four hours. Um, didn't really hear from any of their domiciles. And I told them, I said, look, you know, maybe they're busy, maybe whatever, but um, if they're not able to at least respond to us in a timely manner, even to tell us no, then they're not going to be the kind of innovative uh, regulators that we want to work with. And, and that's not something you can get in a textbook. Um, you know, as we do a request for proposal, you know, they see what goes into that and the kind of logistics that you send out and, you know, how you send out the rubrics so everybody knows the, how they're going to be scored and, um, you know, you let the, the, everyone know that we're scoring the written proposals before we hear any of the oral presentations. So, again, just um, things that you learn that you wouldn't, you wouldn't realize unless you were on the job. 
You know, they might send out an email that's not quite um, professionally addressed. And by being able to see that and intervene, we give them the kind of the textbook knowledge, but then the soft skills that a lot of folks say are missing from millennials. And, and, and maybe so. Maybe folks don't work as, as much as, you know, our generations did where we have jobs or they're not interacting in the way they used to with smart devices. Um, so we create that opportunity in the classroom. So last question, as um, you know, many in our audience are um, execs with our member companies, and what advice would you give them about attracting millennials, finding, identifying, attracting millennials uh, to their companies? Uh, stop, stop with the gimmicks and just tell your story. You have to assume that every millennial you meet has no idea that you exist, your company exists, your jobs exist. I tell students, I got jobs you didn't even know you were dreaming of. No one's ever told you before. We bring in people that do sports entertainment insurance, uh, climatologists that work with cities to harden their coastlines. I mean, really cool and interesting jobs that would appeal to anyone. I mean, I had a wonderful career. And I, I just think that we spend too much time on, you know, this is what a claims adjuster is versus what a claims adjuster does. It helps people put their lives back together when they're in their darkest hour. You know, a loss control engineer goes around and inspects buildings. Well, that's not what they do. They make sure people go home at the end of their day and, and, and have a safe, you know, life and a great family. I mean, accountants do great work, but I don't think any accountant goes home thinking they saved anybody's life. Um, I, I know for a fact in my career that things I have done may have saved someone's life. And, and so if you're running and operating an insurance company, we got to tell our story. You got to think they need to know between commercial and personal, they need to know between life and health and PNC, and they need to understand all the functional roles and areas. You know, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. We have too many opportunities. You know, one flavor of accounting doesn't look that different from another type of accounting. The difference between a reinsurance broker and a loss control engineer, there's a lot of distance between those two jobs. And so students, you know, they think they're graduating and, and, and the job's going to be etched on their tombstone. Here lies so-and-so, an underwriter. And I tell them, um, you know, ask anyone in Indiana State if they thought I would have been a professor and you've been laughed out of Terre Haute. There's a lot of opportunities for second careers and second chances and all these kind of things. And um, you know, we need to get them more comfortable being able to pick something um, because otherwise, you know, they were kind of asking them to jump in a job blind um, and that they're worried that they're going to spend the rest of their career doing. And, and, and neither one of those are the case. Wow. Great answer. Great advice. Uh, let the students know the difference that our uh, industry makes in the world and explain it in terms they can understand and tell them about the variety that's offered uh, in this vast industry that needs so many new employees in the next few years. The NAMIC Mutual Insurance Foundation recently received approval from the IRS for tax-exempt status of its scholarship program. The scholarship program supports undergraduate students pursuing a degree in the industry. Last year, the scholarship program gave $20,000 to deserving students. The money was raised entirely from personal and corporate contributors who understand the need to encourage young people to discover insurance as a rewarding career. For information on how to donate, visit NAMIC.org. That's it for us today. We'd love to have your feedback, so if there's something you want to learn more about on Insurance Uncovered, or if you have an idea for an interview, please feel free to shoot us an email at uncovered at I'm Kathy Imus. Thanks for listening.